Welcome to the By Study and By Faith podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, showcasing BYU devotionals that blend reason and science with faith, university disciplines with discipleship, and the scholarly with the sacred. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. Good morning, my dear friends and associates in this great cause. You are an impressive group this morning with so much potential. I know your participation in these devotionals is highly recommended and encouraged, and many of you have homework, tests, and other commitments, so I thank you for attending and will do my best to make this morning worth your investment of time. One of my church assignments is to serve on the Public Affairs Committee of the Church. This is a First Presidency-directed committee, and I am very honored to serve under their leadership. The chairman over the committee has been a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. In my tenure, those chairmen have been Elder L. Tom Perry and before him Elder M. Russell Ballard. Elder D. Todd Christofferson is currently the acting chairman. It is with the assistance of the Public Affairs Committee that I speak speak to you on an important topic that is attracting more and more public attention, and that is the subject of religious freedom. Because you are a sophisticated and intelligent audience, I plan to speak with you with the candor that your generation craves. I suspect that for some of you, the phrase religious freedom feels more like freedom to discriminate. I want to talk with you about this view and help you understand what the Church means when it talks about religious freedom and why it is so vitally important for your future and for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I also plan to address some misgivings and misunderstandings some of you may have when it comes to religious freedom. Some of you might struggle with an understanding of religion's role in society, politics, and civic issues. Some in your age group wonder why religious groups are involved in politics in the first place and are often skeptical of the motives of religious people when they do so. In recent years, the collective voice of groups who feel that religion should not play a role in political deliberation has grown louder. The opportunity to be involved in the political process is a privilege given to every citizen. Our laws and legislation play an important teaching role in shaping our social and moral culture. We need every individual in society to take an active role in engaging in civic dialogue that helps frame laws and legislation that are fair for everyone. What are we talking about when we refer to religious freedom? I am going to tell you the stories of two people who may be just a little older than you, and as I do so, I would like you to think about how you would feel if you were one of these individuals. The first story is about someone I will call Ethan. He recently started his job in a career he has longed for and wants to make a good impression. He comes early to work and stays late. He picks up extra projects and does excellent work. He is well-liked by many of his colleagues and is enjoying his job. 
One day at lunch with a couple of co-workers, he feels comfortable telling them that he is gay. An awkward silence develops because no one knows how to respond and the work environment is quite conservative. Ethan is disappointed by their cold response and feels hurt and rejected. He begins to feel vulnerable at work and less valued. After that lunch meeting, things become increasingly awkward for Ethan at work. He finds himself excluded from large projects and social activities after work, and his productivity begins to suffer, as he feels he does not belong and is not wanted. After a few months, he is let go because his boss feels he is not keeping up. Despite all the claims to the contrary, Ethan knows he has been fired for being gay. Now I want to tell you about Samantha. Samantha has just started work in the administrative offices of a local university. She is excited to work in a stimulating environment full of diverse thoughts, ideas, and backgrounds. One day at work, a co-worker approaches Samantha and says she has heard that Samantha is a Mormon and asks if that is true. Samantha cheerfully responds that it is, but the question that follows brings her up short. Quote, so why do you hate gays? End quote. Her co-worker asks. Samantha is surprised by her question, but tries to explain her belief in God and God's plan for his children, which she believes includes guidelines on moral and sexual behavior. Her co-worker counters by telling her that the rest of society has progressed beyond those beliefs. And besides, she says, history is full of people using religious teachings to wage wars and marginalize vulnerable groups. Samantha restates her convictions and her understanding of God's love for all people and then asks for her co-worker to respect her right to believe. The co-worker feels compelled to tell other employees about their conversation, and over the next few weeks, Samantha feels increasingly isolated as more and more co-workers confront her with questions and attacks. Samantha's boss, seeing the increase in religious conversations in the workplace, cautions her against proselytizing in their work environment, or her job will be in jeopardy. Her work, like Ethan's, begins to suffer. Rather than risk being fired, Samantha starts to look for another job. Now these are hypothetical stories, and yet they are not. There are many Samanthas and Ethans. However we choose to live and whatever choices we make, we all share a common humanity and desire for fairness and kindness. Ethan should not have been fired for being gay, and Samantha should not have been intimidated for being religious. Both were wrongly criticized, judged, and retaliated against. Now, in today's society, it is politically correct to empathize with Ethan's situation, but less so with Samantha's. Ethan may find his case picked up by an advocacy group as yet another example of anti-gay discrimination. And indeed, he does deserve protection. But what about Samantha? 
Who will defend her right to religious conscience? What about her right to live authentically as a person of faith, committed to love and serving everyone, but also with the right to choose what is right and wrong and to live her life accordingly? Our society has become so blind by its quest to redress wrongful discrimination against one class of people that it is now in danger of creating another victimized class, people of faith like you and me. Already, some religious schools are being questioned because they require students and faculty to adhere to an honor code that requires fidelity and chastity. CEOs of large companies have been marginalized or forced to resign because their personal religious views are no longer politically acceptable. And some businesses have been forced to close because their owners have spoken their conscience. Now, despite what you may have heard or read over the years, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has stood consistently for freedom of choice and conscience. Many years ago, the prophet Joseph Smith wrote, We believe that all men are created equal and that all have the privilege of thinking for themselves upon all matters relative to conscience. He went on to say, If I have been willing to die for a Mormon, I am just as ready to die in defending the rights of a Presbyterian, a Baptist, or a good man of any other denomination. For the same principle which would trample upon the rights of the Latter-day Saints would trample upon the rights of any other denomination who may be unpopular and too weak to defend it themselves. End quote. So, what is the position of the Church on religious freedom? I can assure you that apostles and prophets under the inspiration of heaven have given significant consideration to this issue. We believe in following the commandments of God, which are designed to secure our eternal happiness. However, God will not force, God will force no man to heaven. We believe in creating a space for everyone to live their conscience without infringing on the rights and safety of others. When the rights of one group collide against the rights of another, we must follow the principle of being as fair and sensitive to as many people as possible. The Church believes and teaches in fairness for all. Protecting conscience is about safeguarding the way someone thinks and feels and their right to act on those beliefs. I am talking about someone telling you that the thoughts, feelings, and beliefs you have are not allowed, valued, or acceptable because your views are not popular. A war in heaven was fought for agency, and it is a gross violation of that agency to force someone to betray their conscience because their views do not align with the crowd. Now, please do not misunderstand me here. When I speak of us being authentic, the Lord does, He does not give us a free pass to live any way we choose without consequences. 
We are still accountable to him for our choices. He has said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. The commandment to seek after perfection implies we start where we are and seek the Lord's help to lift us to where he wants us to go. Being true to our authentic self requires continual effort to increase our light, knowledge, and understanding. Now, your generation is the most wired in history. You are always connected, and you know that everything on the Internet is always perfectly 100% accurate, right? All right, then. So do not believe everything you've heard on the Internet about the church and its position on gay rights. A recent example of this fairness-for-all approach occurred in January of this year when we held a press conference with three apostles and a member of the Young Women General Presidency to remind our members, community, and the state legislature that the church favors a balanced approach that secures the rights of all people. Elder Dallin H. Oaks expressed the following at that press event, quote, We call on local, state, and the federal government to serve all of their people by passing legislation that protects vital religious freedoms for individuals, families, and churches, and other faith groups, while also protecting the rights of our LGBT citizens in such areas as housing, employment, and public accommodation, in hotels, restaurants, and transportation, protections which are not available in many parts of the country." End quote. With the passage of protections for both LGBT and religious people six weeks later, our church leaders and others congratulated the LGBT community. It was encouraging to see them protected across the state against eviction, housing discrimination, or being fired from a job because of their sexual orientation. We also congratulated our religious friends of other denominations, seeing them similarly protected in the workplace and in the public square. Utah and the church received national news coverage and praise for such a historic compromise. Now note, no doctrinal or religious principles were sacrificed. No changes were made to God's moral law and our belief that sexual relations should only occur when within marriage between a man and a woman. The outcome was fair to all and reflects a consistency in moral standards and teachings and in respect for others. Now, not many of us will play prominent roles in government and lawmaking, So you may be wondering how this topic pertains to you personally in your day-to-day life. I would like to talk with you now about three things you can do, each one, to support and promote a message of fairness. First, try to view others through a lens of fairness. To do this requires you to first acknowledge that Heavenly Father loves all of His children equally. He has said, love one another 
as I have loved you. There is no choice, sin or mistake that you or anyone else can make that will change his love for you or for them. That does not mean he excuses or condones sinful conduct, nor do we, in ourselves or in others. But it does mean that we reach out in love to persuade, to help, and to rescue. When you feel completely and perfectly loved, it is much easier to love others and see them the way the Savior does. Please turn to our Savior in prayer and ask to receive his pure love, both for yourself and for others. He has promised that you will feel his love if you ask in faith. Being filled with this pure love will guide your thoughts and actions, especially in a political arena that can at times be very contentious. Tensions can flare easily when discussing politics, and especially when discussing religious freedom. If we allow these moments to get the better of us, we will appear very unchristian to our family, friends, neighbors, and acquaintances. Remember how the Savior handled tough questions and challenging viewpoints. He remained calm. He showed respect. He taught truth, but never forced anyone to live the way he taught. Second, let fairness guide your treatment of others. Jesus Christ looked past people's ethnicity, rank, and circumstances in order to teach them simple truth. The Samaritan woman at the well. The Roman centurion. The unpopular publican. He has commanded us to follow his example, saying, Ye shall observe to do the things which ye have seen me do. Do not judge people or treat them unfairly because they sin differently than you or we do. Perhaps the greatest challenge in treating others fairly is in the balance required in supporting religious freedom when you have friends or family members who experience same-sex attraction or are firm supporters of their rights. Some of you worry that you will appear intolerant or unsupportive if you seek protections to exercise your faith publicly and freely. Again, study the life of our Savior and seek his guidance. The Savior demonstrated perfectly how to reach out in love and encouragement while also holding firm to what he knew to be true. Remember when the woman was caught in adultery? He asked for anyone without sin to step forward and to be the first to condemn her. When no one approached our Savior, who was without sin, he commented, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The forgiveness and kindness he showed her did not contradict his teachings that sexual intimacy is meant for a husband and a wife who are legally and lawfully married. You too can be unyielding and in right and truth, yet still reach out in kindness. 
When Christ's friends and followers ended their relationship with him, he expressed sadness and pain. However, when a a relationship did end, it was because they were uncomfortable with his teachings, not because he was uncomfortable with them. As we seek to treat others fairly, we must remember the principle of agency. We must always respect the ability of others to make choices and ask that they extend to us the same courtesy. When talking with others about religious freedom, we must always remember that we can disagree without becoming disagreeable. Please do not shy away from a dialogue regarding these important issues simply because you are worried that it might be difficult or uncomfortable. We can pray for help, and we can expect that the Savior will help us and help us speak and act in a way that is pleasing to him. Now third, I would encourage you to stand up for fairness if you see another's rights being impeded. Elder L. Tom Perry was a great example of someone who firmly believed in man-woman marriage and yet was willing to stand up for the rights of others. He left an example of ensuring that others' rights were protected when he witnessed unfair treatment or an imbalance in our laws. From the time of Joseph Smith to our present day, our legacy is one of reaching out to heal breaches and hurt without compromising the doctrine that is not ours to trade away This brings me to my final point, and that is the need for active involvement from your generation on this topic. I stand with the leaders of our Lord's Church when I say that we need your generation's natural understanding of compassion, respect, and fairness. We need your optimism. and your determination to work through these complex social issues. We have faith that you will turn to the Savior to understand how to live a Christ-like life when also showing fairness and love to others who do not share your beliefs. We know you want to be part of something meaningful, and we know that you are resilient and collaborative. Most importantly, we need need you to engage in dialogue regarding the complexities of this issue and find solutions for how to best extend fairness to everyone, including people of faith. These conversations need to be occurring in our schools, perhaps right here at Brigham Young University, in our homes, and relationships with friends and coworkers. When you have these conversations, please remember the principles we have discussed today, which are simply these. See others through a lens of of fairness, treat them with respect and kindness, and expect the same treatment in return. Now, as you do these things, I want you to please report back to me. I want to hear about your experiences and the successes you are having 
in creating friendships with those you who see life differently than you do. On my Ronald A. Rasband Facebook page, I have posted about my devotional remarks. In the next few days, will you head to my, face, my page on Facebook? I would love for you to leave me a comment about your desires and experiences of spreading our message of fairness for all. I want to hear from you. I know some of you prefer Instagram and Twitter, but I am hoping for stories that are longer than 140 characters. Please write me. Finally, I want to leave you with my testimony and my witness that as you follow our invitation to reach out to others in a spirit of fairness, you will feel an increase in the Savior's love for you and for all of Heavenly Father's children. Your example of respect and fairness will open doors and create meaningful friendships that you will cherish throughout your life. I witness to you that our Heavenly Father lives, that He knows you and loves you personally. He stands ready to help you during this exciting and challenging time of your life. He has revealed His plan to us not only so that we can return and live with Him forever, but also that we can be blessed and be happy in this life. As you follow his teachings and as you reach out in love and consideration to others, you will feel even more so his power and his love. Of these truths, I bear witness to you in my love for our Savior and my knowledge that he loves you and cares for you, each and every one. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the By Study and By Faith podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.